0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To anyone new here, a warm welcome to my loyal subs. Hi there, hope you're doing great. Let me just ask that if you find you enjoyed the video or you learned something from it, do me a favor, take the effort, smash the like button and consider subscribing. Now let's dig in. Michael Ivorone is the former owner of a Kentucky Derby winning horse. What T may be asking? Why do I want to know about a rich guy who had a derby winning horse? What does that have to do with true crime? Well let me tell you, Ivorone has a house in Long Island and he went to alleged serial killer Rex Hurman's family home in Massapequa Park to check it out. I know this because of an article in Vanity Fair by James Carbone entitled, We're Only Just Beginning to Unpack Rex Heuermann's New York. That is in the August issue of the magazine, When a Crime Reaches Vanity Fair. You know interest in it runs deep and that it's after effect are like unceasing after tremors of an earthquake. Long Island has been scarred by the Long Island serial killer and the other three serialists who operated out of Long Island for the past two to three decades and dumped bodies in the area's lush woods and along its many beaches. Talk about ruining a vibe. Beaches should be about sunbathing, Kids making sandcastles and giggling. Ice cream from a roving vendor. The yummy scent of coconut suntan oil with a sunscreen, of course. Not dead and dismembered bodies. Digging Huerman out of his hidden life took thirteen years. Well, actually, it only took months. Once the investigation was opened, a new and a new task force was formed, made up of four different agencies, including the FBI, and they sifted through all the evidence and found out from victim Amber Costello's friend, Dave Schaller, that a very tall, very beefy, scary-looking dude driving a dark green, limited-edition Chevy Avalanche was near Amber's home on the night she walked out the door and never came back. The Vanity Fair article described the Hewerman residence as, quote, a six-room wood-paneled home on Massapequa Park's First Avenue that, for the last few weeks, has been at the center of a serial murder case that has fully captivated New York media, as well as a growing ecosystem of online sleuths and true crime enthusiasts, end quote, that's us. That Ivorone guy with the horse has lived in the same area his whole life, just like Hewerman and his daughter's boyfriend lives on a corner adjacent to the Huerman's red ranch-style abode. Ivorone, like most of us, is a true crime junkie, so he's as curious as we all are about how a successful Manhattan architect loaded so seamlessly in the circles of prestigious architects and designers and then in his private life, in his secret life, was allegedly doing all these really gruesome crimes. The article quotes author Bess Kalb, who wrote in her Substack newsletter, We recently closed on a lovely, charming apartment in a pre-war co-op building in New York City. Yesterday afternoon, the building's architect was arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder, and three counts of second-degree murder, end quote. Yep, a lot of successful people in New York interacted with or had some connection to Rex Hureman, and they didn't seem to notice anything strange about him, or at least anything that would have hinted at this type of, shall we say, dark habit. Huerman founded his architectural firm RH Consultants and Associates in 1994. Over the years, Huerman. Huerman worked on a Target in Soho, a Foot Locker store near Yankee Stadium, and a hair salon in the Meatpacking District, which sounds like a yucky place, but it's actually very hip and cool. Huerman's expertise was in expediting construction projects through the city's arcane building codes, and not so much in the designing of buildings, according to author. Ginia Belafonte writes for the New York Times, Hewerman consulted with prestigious architects who worked on pricey renovations of old Brooklyn townhouses. The big shot architects looked to Hewerman, they hired him, they paid him, to help guide them through those old building codes as they redesigned their wealthy clients' homes. A lady named Mary Shell, who worked for Hewerman around the time of the Gilgo Beach murders, so circa two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, wrote this about Hewerman: as a journeyman who held bureaucratic authority, he could veto the plans of architects with degrees from Yale and projects in Nantucket. End quote. Wow. So Hewerman. If he is guilty of the crimes he's charged with, definitely is someone who enjoyed controlling people, having a sense of power over them. We know this. One, because all of the victims were said to have been bound with belts and tape, and possibly some lost their lives in that walk-in vault in the basement of Hewerman's home, while likely shackled with handcuffs. And two, because many of his alleged internet searches were about finding images of women and little girls being essayed, of little girls with bruised faces, and other violent subject matter where vulnerable females were subjected to brutality. By the way, I look at Hureman's daughter, Victoria, and I think, how could you be thinking this, Rex, and doing these things when you have this young, innocent-looking daughter? Clearly, he enjoyed looking at this stuff and possibly also doing this stuff. Many an expert has said that if it's true that Hewerman harmed the Gilgo Beach victims, then he is a sexual sadist, which means someone who likes to inflict pain and enjoys watching how his victims react. I think it's safe to say if he's guilty, then he liked seeing people cry, scream out in pain, and even beg for their lives. If he's the guy, then he's the sickest of the sick. I think for someone like Hewerman, who seems to crave coercive control over others, being able to tell big shot architects who studied at Yale what they could or couldn't do in their renovations because of his knowledge of New York's many arcane building codes was probably the perfect job for him. In fact, I bet Hewerman preferred telling other architects what they could or could not do with their architectural designs over designing buildings himself. And I bet that if somebody rubbed Hewerman the wrong way, say an architect who maybe treated him in a way that made him feel less than important, that maybe Hewerman lied about those building codes to prevent them from building something they wanted to build. I think this is a guy who might lower himself to something like that, to being petty and to sabotaging a project in some small way. It sounds like, for Huerman, his knowledge of those building codes was a form of power in being able to lord that knowledge over well-known New York architects. This likely made him feel in control and important. That former employee of his— Mary Shell wrote that Hewerman believed he had political clout. She wrote, quote, whether or not he had any real political clout, he believed he did, and tried to convince others that he did too. End quote. That photo of Hewerman standing outside his fancy Fifth Avenue office building in Manhattan. Where he undoubtedly paid a hefty amount of monthly rent, him looking all puffed up with his arms crossed and his head held high, seems to mirror what Shell described there, a guy who thinks he's got political clout, prestige, and power. Many experts have said that Hewerman likely suffers from Narcissistic Personality Disorder. According to an article on Mayo Clinic's website, some symptoms of this disorder Include one, having an unreasonably high sense of self importance and requiring constant excessive admiration, two, expecting to be recognized as superior even without achievements, three, being preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, and brilliance. Four, expecting other people to do what you want without question. Having an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of other guys. I think of Rex Huerman's family with that one. If he did do in victims, and if he did some in inside the family home, he clearly wasn't thinking or maybe even able to consider the possible ramifications for his wife and children if he got caught. 5. Behaving in an arrogant way, bragging a lot, and coming across as conceited. I think we saw this in that interview he did with the French guy. 6. Insisting on having the best of everything, for instance, the best car or office. Wow. Yes. Mayo Clinic's article really used having the best office as an example. Heuerman had to be paying a lot of rent for that rather small office in Midtown Manhattan. That's a fancy address. Maybe that's why he didn't fix up the family home. Perhaps money was tight because he insisted he had to have that outrageously expensive office with its impressive address. Maybe to him, impressing clients with his office was more important than making sure his family lived in a nice-looking house and that the neighbors didn't have to see that eyesore in their otherwise manicured quarter. After Huerman's arrest, an online outlet covering real estate news in New York reported that he was once hired for a $200,000 partition and plumbing job at the Trump building on Wall Street. Talk about prestigious. Well, I guess that depends on how you view Trump, right? And according to Department of Buildings records, Hewerman also did a small job in 1998 for the developers Fred Cantini and Tamir Sapir at 100 Church Street. It was a $15,000 job to demolish interior non-load-bearing walls, a raised floor, and a hung ceiling. By the way, Contini pleaded guilty to racketeering charges in 2004 after admitting to working with the Gambino and Genovese mafia crime families. Yikes. New York really is so Sopranos. Tamir Sapir, who died in 2014, was originally a cab driver who went on to become a billionaire in 2002 and his daughter was married at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's famous property in Florida, Sapir was once fined by federal authorities for illegally importing rare animal parts, what, that he kept on his 150-foot yacht. So those are the people that Hewerman was talking to, negotiating with, maybe, or maybe talking to their people. 1998 is also the year that Rex Hurubin had a $30,000 job to propose how to demolish existing partitions, ceiling, and doors, and install new ones at 437 Madison Avenue, very nice address, in a building owned by a guy named Melvin Kaufman. Kaufman died in 2012. But before that, before he died... He was a developer who installed a life-size sculpture of himself outside one of his buildings. I bet working for all these colorful, rich, powerful people made Hureman feel important and gave him a lot of stories to brag about, perhaps to some of those escorts he allegedly hooked up with and some of the colleagues he'd networked with in years past. By the way, these types of projects continue to show up on Heuerman's desk right up until his arrest in July. An engineer who worked with him for about 25 years, told Vanity Fair that he was with Rex in his office until 4 p.m. on the day he was arrested. The two men were planning a collaboration they were undertaking the next week. This engineer said, quote, listen, it's very hard to be passionate about building department codes. I mean, it's boring, but he was very into it, loved it most people do it because you have to. You have to apply the codes to your craft. But he literally thrived on it, end quote. I think that's very telling. By the way, when Hewerman was in court for his last hearing, one reporter for Court TV told Vinnie Politan that Hewerman did scan the audience in the courtroom with an icy stare at one point. However, the reporter said that The icy stare was not laid on everyone in the gallery, but rather on each reporter, and the reporter told Politan, that Huerman rested his emotionless eyes on each reporter for an uncomfortably long period. That, to me, sounds like this guy was trying, even when shackled at the wrists and ankles, to instill terror in other people, maybe to send a chill down their spines so he could watch their eyes grow big with fear, and also to dominate the atmosphere with his person, his girth, and his vibe. Here's three more by-the-ways for you. One, apparently the mayor of Massapequa told the New York Post that the village is looking into purchasing the Hewerman home or having a private buyer purchase it with an eye toward tearing it down. Hallelujah. And two, that French guy, remember him who interviewed Hewerman? Well, apparently when the author of the Vanity Fair article reached out to him to learn more about his experience with Rex, the French guy said he'd love to do an interview provided he was paid $5,000 to license the footage. What? Not very nice, French guy. You, who laughed all the way through your interview with an alleged serial killer. I know you didn't know who you were talking to at the time, but still. 3. One guy who interacted with Hewerman on business dealings told Vanity Fair he never suspected anything about him. This guy said, quote, but out of all the people I've worked with in my lifetime, for him to be the one that's in this situation, I wasn't surprised. I am a little bit shocked, but I wasn't surprised. Does that make sense? End quote. I want to leave you now with a quote from American psychologist Anna Salter, who is an internationally recognized expert on sexual predators, as well as a mystery novelist. She's also a teaching fellow at Tufts University and Harvard. In one of her books, Dr. Salter wrote this. Despite a psychopath's lack of conscience and lack of empathy for others, he is inevitably better at fooling people than any other type of offender, end quote. That's all for now. I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Do me a favor, smash that like button. Please subscribe to the channel. It's a huge help. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a Patreon membership. See you next time.